Welcome to the Autobahn Country Club Podcast, where your host, club member John Graybeal, opens the doors to America's premier auto sports club. Now, here's John. Welcome to the second podcast. The plan for the podcast is uh, to release two a month on alternating Wednesdays. Of course, that might change as we put together more interviews and as the activities pick up at the track. Our interview today is with Francesco Davila. 2007 was a turning point for Francesco. He's the owner of Team Stradale, located by the front entrance to the Audubon Country Club. In 2007, Francesco went from one dream job to another. Team Stradale is one of the race shops located right on the track. One of the most appealing things about the track for me is these race shops that are located here at the track and operate year-round. And they can take care of everything for you from changing tires to building a brand new race car. If you've ever been at the club, you can't miss the Radical race car. It's a full-up race car and one of the fastest on-track options. Francesco tells us how he inherited his father's passion for race cars and how Team Stradale became the largest volume dealer for Radicals in North America. After the interview, Kyle Nato will be back with a recap of some of the events from opening weekend and also to let us know what's coming up. You heard an engine note startup at the beginning of the podcast. Stay tuned to the end of the show and I will give you another chance to guess the year, make, and model. And now, here's Francesco Davila on the Audubon Country Club podcast. So, well, welcome to the podcast. Today, we're speaking with Francesco Davila at his clubhouse here at the Audubon Country Club. Welcome to the program. Thank you. There's so much stuff that goes on on this side, right inside the gate here. I'm super excited to find out more about you and what takes place here. So did you grow up around here? I grew up in Schaumburg. In Schaumburg. Mm-hmm. And um, how did you get into you start? I know you started kart racing early on. Is that your right. first? Did your dad do some racing or anything? He did. He did. He raced... Um, Hill climb and formula cars in Italy. Oh, wow. Cool. And he quickly um, understood that he liked the mechanical side of things even better than driving. So he was a, uh, a lead technician on several race teams, including one of the Ferrari hill climb teams. And um, he did that for a while. And that brought him with meeting my mother, of course, that paired with the uh, motorsport background brought him to the United States in 1972. And he's been ranching and uh, rebuilding Ferraris and exotic sports cars ever since. And I grew up in that, you know, in that shop with him. Were you born here in United States? I was born here. Born here. Back and forth to Italy every year to visit family. Our whole family lives there, and uh, it's just us here. And where in Italy? Um, Sicily, primarily. And um, now people are kind of everywhere. Uh, you know, after the war in Italy things spread out. So people, we have family in uh, every region in Italy and France and Germany, um, just primarily because that's where the work brought people. Do you guys speak Italian at home? Did you learn to speak yes. Italian? Yes. Italian was our first language, oh. both my sister and myself. Oh, awesome. Very cool. Uh, and so then he got you into kart racing or is it something you and yep. did? He, uh, my dad and myself got into it when I was eight years old and he we started off in a Midwestern uh, local series, regional series, and um, then we got into traveling. Uh, it was called enduro, enduro or Endurance Racing at the time. And what was great about that was we had two different series that we followed. One was the regional and one was traveling to different tracks. And in the Enduro series, we were able to drive all of the big tracks with go-karts. Oh, really? So we were on Road America, Blackhawk Farms, oh, no way. Putnam Park, <laughs> IRP, um, Groton, Gingerman, I mean, every track that I race today and did in the future. So what was really awesome about that is by the time I was about 13, 14 years old, um, getting into a formula car, I already knew all the tracks from a go-kart level, very low and, you know. Wow, yeah, that's so cool. Yeah. Yeah, my son's desire is to get on the big track here with the go-karts. It's yeah. cool. <laughs> now that they smoothed it out, it's it's cool. It was a little bumpy at first, but now it's better. Might be kind of boring on the straightaways for a little bit, but. Not with the right gear ratio, no. <laughs> um, and so then you said you switched to formula racing? Yeah. In, in, in your teens? 
I did what a lot of uh, kids my age at the time did was uh, we searched for a racing school because I wanted to become an F1 driver like every other kid. And we got involved with uh, Skip Barber Racing. And I took the Skip Barber Racing School at Road America because it was the only thing you could take. There was two schools, uh, Bob Bondurant and Skip Barber. And had a great time and uh, did some Formula 2000 racing after that. And then after that, became a test driver and a factory driver for a, um, a factory in Italy called Formula Arcobaleno. And they built the first one-seater um, motorcycle engine-powered formula car. So it was, uh, it was innovative at the time because it keeps the car very light in weight and extremely fast, high-revving engine. Uh, so we were trying to, we became the importer of that car in the United States, my father and I, and we tried to bring that car over here. One thing leads to another. Obviously, there's a lot of, um, you know, a lot of racing series. So the last thing people wanted was another series. How old are you about this time? That time I was uh, 18, 19. So just out of high school. Yep. And I was going back and forth from, from Europe uh, monthly, pretty much. And um at that time, we were bringing this car over, trying to bring it over, and um, getting it homologated. And I learned a lot about the racing business um, through those years, up until I was about 21, 22. And um, an interesting thing happened. My mom, when I was in, in high school back then, uh, she was really uh, adamant about me going to school, continuing school, because at that time, I wanted nothing more than to be a race car driver. I said, I don't need school. I'll just do this for the rest of my life. Um, she's really the one that pushed the school part. And so I, I went into, um, I went to Northern Illinois university and had no idea what I wanted to do. I hated school. <laughs> I loved the party scene. I hated school. It was a, you know, a waste of time. And then, um, I was a business major, like every other student who doesn't know what to do. You know, they, they just pick a major. Any, mini money, mo. I was a business major and I did not like the coursework. Um, I was really fortunate enough to have a professor who kind of took me under his wing, and um, he had a class called Exceptional People in Society. He knew that I was um, really, um, uh, really into helping others, and I had a friend growing up that had a brother with uh, cerebral palsy, and we we would do um, Special Olympics type of, of events every year, um, you know, to help raise money and. Um, so I just kept getting back to stories about that in my childhood. And, and this professor of mine said, you know, you should get into teaching special education. And I said, I don't know the first thing about teaching. That's impossible. Um, he really is the one that pushed me. And I, I, um, I became interested and understood that I didn't have to always have a, uh, you know, a passion to be a teacher. That teaching comes from just, you know, a passion of, you know, of being around people and, and learning from one another and teaching uh, is just part of that, you know, and the tools are already, you know, kind of inside you. So he's the one that kind of brought that out in me. And ever since that, I really fell in love with the teaching. Uh, so I became a special education teacher um, uh, for six years in the high school district 211. And loved every minute Where, of that. that? That's in Palatine, Illinois. Okay. I uh, loved that, dealt with uh, a lot of interesting students and um, coached girls lacrosse and got involved in everything that I could get involved in in the high school setting. And there was, you know, always racing was always kind of the underlying thing. You Were know, you still passion. racing and driving during that time? I was. I had to take a break at one point while I was coaching lacrosse because things got really busy, very, very busy. So, so that was about a time when lacrosse was just getting started, probably. I mean, yeah, did you we start the program. From we scratch? started. Yeah, I started the program because there was no program at Palatine. There was Nutrier High School had a program and a couple others, uh, and they asked me. They asked teachers in general who would uh, who had experience in lacrosse, and I had very little. I I had club experience. You know, like we we grabbed the sticks in college, and you know we started messing around in the field. That was my experience, um, but I had more than anybody else, and so we started a club, and the club grew rapidly. The girls loved it, and it was a, it's a very, very cool sport, and it's, um, it's a combination of football and soccer and hockey and, you know, true athleticism, and the, and the girls just, they, they clung on to it, and they loved it, and now the program is still going today. I'm really proud to see that, and they're doing really well. We went from just a club with no uniforms, no field to speak of. We had to go run to a different field to, 
to practice on to now they're they're playing in the big stadium at the high school it's really neat wow that's awesome yeah but something was something deep down was missing and um when autobahn opened in 2004 uh, you know, my dad and I had seen Mark Basso and, and Mike Keck make these presentations at the Ferrari Club events. My dad and I have been members of the Ferrari Club for years. And um, just because of his association with his his uh, clients and, and the cars. Uh, and these two guys made this presentation about a, uh, a track, a members-only track where you can come and you can drive your cars. And I said to my dad, we, we have to do this. You know, it's amazing. It's, it's a great idea. And my dad, like every other Italian father, said, let's see what happens. These guys, you know, there's scams and things out there. So I, you know, I was really adamant about it, but he was very, you know, he pushed back a lot. Um, and we kept seeing these guys pop up at all these car events. And now you fast forward to about 2004 and we get a letter in the mail because we were on a mailing list uh, that Audubon was having its groundbreaking ceremony. Like they they bought land like they're they really gonna do did. this yeah and that was I, I was blown away i was it was really cool so we didn't we weren't in the first wave of membership we were in the second wave um and uh we became members just at large and i had a had a formula car at the time and a go a bunch of go-karts and um it was just a great thing because with teaching that gave me an opportunity to still race on a track but maybe not compete full-time but I can have the, the luxury of being able to go home at night and not have to do all the travel and still be able to keep my reflexes and, and practice. So that was the point of becoming a member. We quickly found out that like there were, there were not many members like us. Most of the guys that were here had families, were older, and, and had, had not had a racing background besides guys like Tom Bagley and you know later on when Tony Kester became involved with like other than that, there was no guys that had racing background. So when you started, so when you joined, did they already? Was the track already paved and track had just become just gotten paved, and there was no buildings yet. The first building to come up was the building that actually Team Stradale sits in today, um, and they were the buildings. The ground was uh, was breaking every every month. Go kart was a go kart track up. Go kart track was not up yet. No. Okay. Wow. Yeah. Was, but they had the corner workers and everything when you came out. Uh, yeah, but the first times we came out, it was pretty sketchy. <laughs> we didn't. We, nobody realized, you know, what was involved. Uh, Mark, you know, had an unbelievable dream, and uh, it has evolved every year. And I got to say, we have one of the safest road courses in America because of the dedication that everybody has to this place. Um, and they, you know, they obviously put somebody in charge, uh, Tom Bagley, who was from an extraordinary racing background, um, also from an engineering background, you know, took a look at the walls, the barriers and said, you know, we need more space. We need more runoff room. We need more, we need more absorption. So he, uh, coupled with some other people and, and Alan Wilson and some other engineers designed better barriers, better systems for absorption. And we've had really knock on wood. We've had really good luck. And, um, you know, with, with the crashes when they do happen, you know, to minimize the risk. So that was, yeah, so it was the Wild West kind of almost at the start. A little bit. In the beginning, it was kind of crazy. We didn't have sessions. We didn't have classes. We just, everybody was out there whenever they wanted to be out there with cars. Everybody grouped cars with like cars. So like the Porsche guys would all kind of go out at the same time. The Corvette guys would, the Ferrari guys. And us being in an open wheel race car, we were kind of, not ostracized, but we were, we were those guys with a real race car. You was know? your dad, would he drive it also? Would he? Yeah, he did a couple times. You know, but he's mellow now. Now he drives and he looks at the trees and he's, you know, <laughs> it's not really about going fast. It's more about being smooth and, and driving the car in a way that the car will last forever. You know, he, he's really connected with cars, so he doesn't like hurting them. <laughs> and sometimes, you know, drivers are, you know, have to be a little bit aggressive. Oh, all right. Cool. So that, so now you're, you just got here, you're still teaching. I and was for the first, uh, yeah, first couple of years I was still teaching. First year. And then when, and you just saw the need, this is like how we start businesses in America. You saw a need that needed to be filled. Yeah. We had nobody doing real coaching. So Tom Bagley was doing some private coaching. None of the guys had any licenses for racing. There was nobody doing like coaching on a, on a, on a grander level. So we just decided, hey, we need a driving school. We need a school. Uh, I went to Skip Barber Racing School. Why can't we have our own here? Like, I'm a teacher. 
I can write a curriculum uh, for a school. It's easy. You know, um, I know all the points that you need to hit. I'll go back and talk to the guys from Skip Barber and see what their curriculum was. And I found out rapidly that all of these driving schools are run by racers and not teachers, not teachers. And while a racer might be a good racer, it might not be that great of a teacher. And I found out quickly that they had no goals and objectives. Um, they just said, oh, this is what we want to teach. And yeah, we're going to do this by drawing pictures on the board. And we're going to make sure everybody knows it. And we're, yeah, we'll give a test at the end, you know, like, and there you go. And there's your racing license. And they did it over a course of three, four days. But there was no like, hey, um, these are the goals. These are the objectives that we need to meet. Um, this is how we're going to meet them. We're going to hit these d different topics uh, per day. And we're going to want to uh, show, you know, mastery of those topics or of those skills by doing this and testing those things over and over again. You can't just test something written. You know, you have to show it, too. Um, so I decided I was going to take it into my own hands. I was just going to develop a school. And I talked to Tom Bagley about it, um, talked to eventually then Tony Kester and some other drivers. And I said, you know, why doesn't anybody do this? And they all said the same thing. They're like, they, they do. Bob Bondra and Skip Barber. I'm like, yeah, but they're, you know, they're just pumping through a lot of people. Um, it's not, it, it doesn't have the element of like one-on-one -on -one teaching, you know. I think what I liked best about special ed when I was teaching was I was able to really become um, like bonded. You know, I really bonded with the kids and the teaching that we did because our classrooms were smaller was really not one-on-one -on -one necessarily, but it was very small groups. And so I wanted that for our driving school. So I decided that our driving school was not going to be large groups. It was going to be like five and under. And we were going to we were going to really make sure people learned a lot in the time that we had together. So that's really what sets us apart from every other driving school is we have the time to dedicate to specific skills. So if you want to come to our school and you don't want a driving racing license, you want to learn how to drive manual transmission, fine. We can do that because we don't have like a corporation behind us saying, hey, you have to do this, you know. No, I'm going to take what's the need of the individual, what your passion is, what your need is, and, and what you want to get out of this experience. And we're going to teach you that, you know, we're going to make sure it, it's done right. And we're going to make sure that we have a, a curriculum to back it. But at the same time, you're going to learn the most you can in a very short period of time um, because we will match learning styles. And no other, no other school worldwide does that. Wow. Very cool. And, that, and so when you started that here, did, is that when you, you bought the building and you started? Did you just do it out of the clubhouse? First so we, no, we, we became uh, like the building that we're in now, uh, uh, a member, Joe Graziano, one of the very first members to ever put pen to paper and, and write a check to Autobahn. Um, he bought, he built that building. It was a monstrosity. And he just, uh, the goal was there was just have a place for him and his friends to hang out. And so we were, we met Joe um, and we had another friend that we, uh, I grew up knowing, Gabriele, um, who's also a member here. And they um, kind of formed a business uh, at the time called Modena Corse. And that business was basically servicing race cars and like, um, they became a dealership for other racing related uh, products like safety equipment and that type of thing. Kind of like a North Star of Autobahn. Uh -huh. um, and then I brought the school into that, into that business. And I said, Hey guys, you know, like I was renting space over there at the building for my race car. And I said, why don't we, you know, why don't we build a school? And so they bought some race cars, some, some BMW Z3 Roadsters, six of them. And I said, yeah, we can, you know, I showed them the curriculum and they allowed me to run the school out of that building. Uh, quickly they said, you know, we need a manager for this business. This business has got great potential. You should do that. And so I said, well, I can't, I'm a teacher, <laughs> you know, I have a day job. Um, uh, but in the, they wanted me to do it during the summer. So I started, you know, and then, you know, quickly I had, you know, a new wife at the time and quickly she uh, understood that I didn't have any free time. And, uh, if we wanted to ever start a family that I'd need some free time. So I, I, you know, I understood that at some point in the next year, I was going to have to make a decision. Uh, if this was going to be a viable business, I would have to do it full time or just stick to teaching and just do this as a hobby, you know, on the side. So it took me a full year to make that decision because teaching is truly one of my biggest passions. And I love the kids, love the school, the department, everybody there at Fremd High School was absolutely amazing. And it still is. Um, 
and I got to the point where I said, you know what, if I if I ever look back and say I didn't try this at least, I might be upset at myself. <laughs> so uh, against everybody's will, everybody told me I was crazy for doing this, except for Joe and Gabriele. They both said selfishly, they both said, you got to come into this business. They, they obviously wanted a manager for the business. Um, uh, but everybody else thought I was nuts because I was leaving a school district that was, you know, best school district you can have in Illinois by far. Um, and I just decided to take a chance. And so I left the school district, wrote them a really nice letter, said I'm resigning, unfortunately, uh, but fortunately to follow a passion. And they were all really great, you know, threw me a party. And uh, and now I uh, we started this business called Team Stradali, and it took it took about three to four years to get. And this was two thousand six ish. So yeah, six going into seven. Seven was our first official year as a storage, racing service center and school. Um, that was our our three. Did core you come businesses. up with the names? Uh, Gabe and I came up with it. Um, he wanted it to be something Italian, <laughs> obviously. Um, and Stradale means uh, street legal. Um, you oh. know, when Ferrari builds a race car, they build the race car first, they test it, they race it. And then sometimes they build the Stradale version of the race car. And that's the street legal version. So like 360 Modena, like that. Then they came out with the, the 360 Stradale. So ah, that um, that's where that good. part came from. But what I wanted was something that um, encompassed the the whole thing of, you know, of being a driver. And that's not, yeah, the driver is the one, you know, uh, piloting the car or the vehicle, but the driver can't do it alone. You know, so we, I really wanted a word to be in front of it. And I, we kept going back around and around and around, you know, trying to put Italian words in there. I'm like, you know, we just need like team you know, team Stradale. And we just kept saying it over and over again. I'm like, yeah, that actually, that's the word, you know, it's just that <laughs> it's not complicated. At first it didn't roll off the tongue very easily. And then people mis mispronounced it all the time. And they called us team straddle. <laughs> <laughs> and I've heard some really funny ones actually. Um, and they couldn't, you know, they didn't. So we corrected them for a couple of years and then it, it, then it got to be, got to be known. So yeah, that's where team Stradale came from. And so 2006, you roll in here, and we have the Z, the BMW Z3s. Yeah, we had a fleet of them, started with six, then got to 12. We had up to 15 at one point. And you're doing all kinds of coaching and teaching in different cars. They're members' cars. Yeah, also their own in, cars. And then you're doing the, the programs with the, with those cars, driving programs. Correct. Cars. And we had a one, a two, a three-day school, four or five-day program. Uh, we got to... And you still do that type of stuff today? We do. We do. Uh, but it's it's definitely more one like I said one on one attention so you can call and, and it's open to the public too uh, it's not just a member program it started off as a member program but our program is for the public and you can just call or email us and tell us what you want uh, what your goals are it's a real quick you know three three to five minute interview um, just to understand what you're trying to get out of this experience and we design a a school around you and your needs that day. Um, so there's really no cookie cutter. There's no uh, out of the box program. Like if I, if I get in a car with you today, it will be slightly different from the person that I had yesterday, the day before, you know, because your goals are different. So, um, we do, we did get accredited by SCCA and NASA. So we do have a licensing program. So if you want to get an actual competition, SCCA, license, the sports club, sports car, car club of America and the, NASA national Association of Sport, uh, National, <laughs> I always forget this, National uh, Autosport Association. Autosport Association. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Not NASA as in National, <laughs> National Aeronautical. Aeronautical. Yeah, <laughs> Space no. Administration. No, we're not that. <laughs> um, all right. Very cool. And so the you have the racing school up and running mm -hmm. and your coaching. And then... Where does where does radical come in? Yes. Is that what you're gonna ask? Yeah. Okay, so you can't come to the Audubon without seeing radicals. And if you don't know what that is, uh, listeners, I suggest you Google it. It is a radical looking sports car. So how did that? Is that the next big step in in, in the progression of radical? Was interesting. Yeah, it was kind of. It was always there, looming. Um, there were members. There was about three or four members with radicals. Uh, maybe in. Oh seven, oh eight, oh nine, 
Um, Radical Sports Cars is a company uh, in Peterborough, England, uh, in the UK, and they are uh, they are the largest race car manufacturer, believe it or not. Um, really? Yeah, they build more race cars than any other company. They've been doing it since around the the mid nineties. Um, the first real SR three uh, was basically we consider it about ninety seven. Um, and that's like the main model. Uh, they they've built six or seven different models of race cars, but really, truly, the the biggest, uh, highest volume race car that they build is the SR3. And that they're still making that. They're still making it today. Uh, the company is is going stronger than ever. Um, I owned with with my partner at the time. I owned a Radical, a yellow Radical SR3 1500cc engine. What was really cool about it, like my experience with Arco Blano Factory, is. This company was able to do the same concept that Arco Bellano did with putting a motorcycle engine in a race car, but instead of doing it in a formula car, they did it in a uh, a prototype or, a, or what we call a sports racer. Sports racer just means it's got fenders. That's it, you know. But it looks it looks real sleek, um, and it still weighs very little. It you know weighs about fifteen hundred pounds. And um, and they put this engine in there, so the engine, you know, a motorcycle engine lasts a very long time. It's pretty robust, and it goes pretty fast if you keep it light. So we had one of those, and it was a great car. It, it had some problems. This was an 08 car. Um, it was sequential gearbox, uh, so it was real easy to drive. Uh, very, very fast. Nothing on the track was as fast as this car. But we had some mechanical issues. Um, we sold the car sometime around 08. Um, then another member, a friend of ours bought it. Then another member bought that from them, you know, two years later. And then Radicals kind of disappeared from the club. Is that car still here at the club? No, but I see that car at events all the time. Oh, yeah, that's awesome. It went to Canada, came back, went to Spring Mountain in Nevada, came back here at one point. Another member bought it here, then was sold back to Spring Mountain. And now it is in Canada again. And it's still running. And the car is it's it's better looking than it ever has been because every owner put a lot of a lot of work into it. But um, the Radicals were an interesting car because in 2012 the factory made a big change, uh, a, a big personnel change, and they started building race cars more like race cars, and they they really started putting a lot more into the build and the quality of the car, with still keeping the cost down. Their goal was always getting a car that could be used as a track day car, but also a race car. So it still has the fundamentals of a true race car where you're pulling like serious G's um, and also, you know, very easy to use. Uh, and and uh, the price point is just right. You know, so this is a $100,000 race car, you know, and um, and it stays, you know, it stays pretty much around that price. And obviously, there's with use, there's always there's always maintenance. And, and, and the uh, engines are still the 1500cc? So the 1500 is is most widely used in in Europe, and um, the 1340, the true Suzuki Hayabusa engine, um, is the one that we chose to use. Um, so you can get different motor, you can get different engines. In you there. can, you oh. can, and there's all the way up to a V8, a v- oh. serious like serious machine. Oh, uh, it's a bespoke engine, you know. Uh, it's a basically the the top end of the Suzuki on a bespoke block that they built at at Radical. Um, but I, I I wanted to explore the Radicals again at one point because the car was so much fun to drive. So um, a friend of mine, Nico, you know, was uh, got another friend of ours, John, and said, you know, we should buy these cars. We should get them. And I said, you know, they were awesome at the time. But, you know, if they didn't fix X, Y, Z problems, then they're just going to be continue to be a headache. And we spoke to a guy at Spring Mountain that, you know, loved the cars and he was driving them a lot. And he introduced us to one of the engineers at the factory. And I talked to him about all the problems we had experienced. And he goes, don't worry, they're all gone. All of that's gone. And I said, I don't buy it. Let me drive it. So he let me drive one of the cars. And it had paddle shift at the time. And I said, man, this car drives so much smoother, like a lot smoother. So I, I knew right off the bat, I'm like, it's going to be much better to maintain because there's a lot less jarring, you know, to all of the suspension components on the car. So... um we decided collectively, we got together uh, a group of, of 10 guys and we said, oh, we're all going to buy these cars together. Let's do it. And um, 10 guys uh, decided to buy cars at the same time. So we put an order in and that was with Spring Mountain at the time because there was no other dealers really. And I said to 
the guys at Spring Mountain, I'm like, you know, I should probably just become a dealer here because we're going to be servicing the cars here. And, you know, they're like, well, you know, there's only one dealer. You have to get the cars through us. And I said, well, okay, whatever. So we did it. But then I called Radical and I said, you know, it doesn't really make sense for you guys to, you know, for us to be doing uh, work this way because it's it's time consuming and we're not going to be able to service the client. And truly, the idea behind this is making it as easy as possible because members at Autobahn are very busy. And they want to come here and spend time on their hobby. They don't want to come here waiting for parts and, and being broken down and, and thinking, you know, well, this is kind of a waste of my time. So I, I pushed and pushed and pushed until finally they gave up and they said, fine, you can become a dealer. And, um, and I said, by the way, I just ordered 10 cars, you know, and um, they were pretty excited about that. Um, fast forward a year. How long did it take to get, to get them? It took about eight to nine weeks. Oh, pretty close. Relatively close. Yeah. The the factory still runs on about a, I want to call it seven to 10 week lead time for building. Um, it can get a little bit longer during the busy seasons, but that's still around the time. And they it come takes. with the motors already in them? Yep. Okay. Yeah. Car comes complete. Just the wing on backwards because they, they usually fly them here on an airplane. Um, but a lot of, you, you can also get them on the boat. But are they ever street? Do the street legal anywhere? Can you make a street legal? The street legal models don't come to the U.S. Okay. Um, it can be done. I've seen it done before, but you know, it's the same thing like with a kick car. It's it's unusual, and there's a lot of red tape to yeah, man, to go through. <laughs> so um, that was it. We became a dealer, and next thing you know, we um, we said, okay, we need a series to run these in because it's pointless to have a car that you just run at a track. Like we need to run races against each other to get competitive. So we did that first year. We did four races. It was very successful. A lot of guys loved it. Then the next year was like eight races, then 10 races, 12 races. And now we're running our own Autobahn spec series here with the Radical SR3. And we have over 50 cars here. And we became quickly the largest dealer distributor in the U.S. and North America. And we got an award last year for the, the largest volume dealer. Um, because the, the car just lends itself really well to being adaptable and and being versatile so like you don't have to be necessarily a racer to want this car like you can be the guy that no, just want wants one. to no i want one just to drive around the track my kid wants one my wife you know? wants. i know <laughs> and the great thing is it's got a, a second seat so like you can share the experience the, the biggest thing with driving at a country club like this is if your guests come out and you're in a formula car it's cool to watch you go around a couple times you know but it gets pretty boring after about an hour and people are done. But if you grab that individual, whether it be your best friend or your girlfriend or wife or whatever, you know, your kids' friends, and you say, hey, you want to come for a ride in this thing? Yeah, they are pretty incredible. They, they lose it. I mean, people just, because it's not just a, an average, you know, Ferrari or Corvette or Porsche. I mean, this is a true race car. And they get in, they strap in, and I'm not going to lie, half the people can't handle it. And the other half are like so excited they can't wait to come back. You know, and my first radical ride when he started strapping, strapping my hands down, manacling my hands to the vehicle. <laughs> I was like, this is going to be interesting. Yeah, it will say. So I, I fortunate I flew fighter airplanes and a lot of aerobatic airplanes and stuff, and it is as violent as. This is a good thing. I know it's. Yeah. This is it's as violent as as. I mean, the only thing I've ever done is fly a fight, flew a fighter aircraft. That's yeah. just, That's just crazy. Um, it's a lot of fun, and my wife. Went uh, went out for the, her first ride this last summer. She was a little apprehensive, but it she was, she loved it. She yeah. absolutely loved every second of it. It's amazing, and it brings you that that ex, that experience that you'll never forget. So now we do experience, we do radical experiences, and we do a radical driving academy too. So so if a guy wants to buy one, they can come here. Absolutely, even if they don't, if they're not a member, or they don't live locally, they could come here and get a test drive in a radical. And many do. Oh, yep. wow. How cool is that? Yeah, yeah. They'll call us and say, hey, I'm interested in a car or, hey, I want to do a driving school, but I don't want to do it in a Mazda MX-5 or a BMW. I want to do it in something better or faster. And we say, okay, we can do it in a Radical. We'll, we'll usually start somebody at least at least a, several sessions in a GT car or something smaller like a Mazda MX-5 just to be on the safe side to understand that they have, you know, they have some skill set, you know, to or at least a foundation uh, to get into a car, because you can't just jump in a Radical. What right? roughly horsepower are those? Um, the lower engine is about 205. They go up to 
about 240 on the 1500. And the question everybody is going to ask is, on the straightaways, the long straightaways here, how fast are you going? Uh, about a one, I mean, on the longest straight, about 122, 123. Compare that to, uh, so I have a, one of my track cars is 944. Yeah. I'm getting right at 99. Yeah. So it's considerably faster. And I, in my street, uh, 911, I could do on the south track a lap in, you know, a minute 40, low 40s, about the same for my, my street 911 or my track 944. And a radical is doing much faster on the south track. It's, yeah. The, well, see, what's, if, if you don't know, if, if you tell somebody that doesn't know anything about like road racing and you say, oh, we'll do like a buck 20 down the, the straightaway, and they're like, really? That's it? And you don't understand. You'll right, see you like a, a Porsche, you know, GT3 RS or something that does like 140 down the same straightaway, and you're like, "How is that Porsche getting up to that?" And you're only getting up to this, you know, it's like a 20 mile an hour difference. But then you show them, you say, "Okay, well, if you drive on the same track at the same time and you see where we're faster, it's not that there's many more turns than there are straights, and the car is so much more capable and way faster in the turns." Mm -hmm than a street car or a gt car is that's where you make up the time it's not the straightaways so where we find the exhilaration and the and the the adrenaline rush is the fact that you could go into a turn that the porsche might be only only able to sustain 80 mile an hour through the turn uh, which is fast for some of these turns but the radical is doing 116 117 yeah, through 20, the turn about 20 seconds faster right than a, oh yeah then you're in the 120s on that Oh, we're even lower now. It's like 118. 118. So 118 considerably on the faster. Even though the straightaway might not be as fast, considerably right. faster. Your braking points are so much closer. The Gs and the speed in the turn are so much greater. Um, that's very some of the Some of the GT cars, you know, they're doing 129s, and that's fast on the south track. A minute, 29 seconds. And a, a GT a lot car of, is something like, like a Porsche, Porsche Cayman. Cayman or a BMW. BMW M3. M3 yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, if they're doing that lap time, they're, they're moving, they're going fast. Yep. And if you were a passenger in that seat, you would, you would see it's, it's no joke, but then the radical is doing 10 seconds faster. Than I know. It's doing one nineteen. you know, it's just yeah, it's different, fast. but it's, it's about the turning. It's about how fast can you go through those turns? Well, um, just, I don't think we've got everything we want. We'd like to have you back on the podcast, Absolutely. find Anytime. out a little bit more about, um, the rest of the business here and more about the future of what you guys are doing. Um, it was great to have you on the podcast today. I appreciate your time and look forward to talking with you again. No problem. Oh, I and if they want to get a hold of you, how can people get a hold of you? So best way is through the website or through uh, our phone. Um, the website is www.teamstradali.com. That's team, like team, T-E-A-M. Stradali spelled S-T-R-A-D-A-L-E. Dot com. Um, if you just look up uh, high performance driving schools in Chicago, we'll pop up. Um, and our phone number is 815-727-7234. All right. Thanks so much. Thank you. All right. I'd like to welcome Kyle Nato once again to the podcast. We're sitting here in the garage area of the clubhouse. We're going to get a little update on uh, opening weekend was this past Saturday. How did that go? Uh, opening weekend went great. Uh, we had a nice little turnout for it. It was a little chilly that day, um, but uh, Brad was the first one out on track, so he won the um, uh, the Dick Simon Award. For um, first person out winning the Dick Simon Award was our very own Brad Beal. He's a member here, and he has been attending every single uh, opening day since the beginning. Oh wow! And the Dick Simon Award. Dick Simon was uh, an old IndyCar racer that made sure that uh, his cars were the first ones on track for every single race, hence <laughs> the Dick Simon Award. Oh, very good. All right. And we also had a karting seminar uh, on opening day, which was very well attended. We had Margay come up and do uh, demonstrations on how to prepare yourself for your first kart race and also uh, how to use some of the data acquisition systems that uh, are associated with the, the microns, the micron fives uh, that they use for uh, telemetry and 
getting yourself. Uh, yeah, here's pretty good, pretty good turnout for Saturday. It was a very good turnout for that portion. And uh, well, uh, how many how many guys got on the track on Saturday? Do you know? So, it was probably pretty. Was it snowing yet? It wasn't snowing, uh, and actually, it uh, it stopped raining and kind of cleared up. Track dried out. Uh, and so the afternoon we had a few new members, new social members, uh, get out on track with their new ignite carts and got to put in some laps down in the oh, car track. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. no kidding. So, oh, very cool. So yeah, they got to play with their brand new toys. Oh, very nice. And so, uh, opening weekend, Sunday was Easter. So, uh, that was a closed day. So I'm, we're out here on Tuesday, which is first weekday open and it's rainy and cloudy and but we still Slippery. have we still have members out on track right now, uh, so you'll probably hear them in the background going going around. So yeah, we're I, definitely I, open for business. I got out there for a few. Took my daily driver out there for a few laps. As I figured with the, all the traction control and help and the four wheel drive was it was still slippery, but I, I had fun out there. First time I'd taken that car out on the track. So me fun. personally, I love racing in the rain. I mean, it's a great equalizer. Uh, it doesn't matter if you have 600 horsepower or, you know, 150 rain will, uh, definitely aid those guys with lower horsepower cars. And in my opinion, true drivers come out to play in, in the rain. So, <laughs> oh, okay. Well, thanks. I'm glad I've been, I was out there today there you go. <laughs> as a true driver. Uh, with that said, coming up on Saturday, April 7th, uh, if you want to become a true driver, if you will, uh, we have our competition school going on so you can sign up online for that is that all day uh, it's yeah, all day uh through you know tom bagley and tony kester will be teaching it and that's how you get your race license to come race here at autobahn i haven't taken that class but i do look forward to my son and i taking that together here maybe this summer sometime yep. and so the race school this saturday this saturday and then what's Sunday? Uh, we have an outside group coming and renting the track, but um, Sunday is going to be open lapping. Uh, on so the just south to, just to be clear for so, the new members out, so there's two tracks: there's a north track, south track. Often times, a organization, a group, dealership, manufacturer will rent one side of the track. So members always have every uh, six days a week can always come out and run either on the north track or the south track. While sometimes the opposite side is rented for a motorcycle event or maybe a Porsche Club of America event. And then sometimes there's full track weekends, which would be usually Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, which the full entire track is open. So the full, how many miles is the full track? Uh, 3.5 miles. Is the full track. So so it's a mile and a half ish on the on the north track and then 2.3 miles on the south track track. um so you're right members will always have access to one track i really appreciate having outside groups come here uh renting the other track because it just creates more of a buzz there's more activity going on uh here and it's always good to see just other cars and meet new people that you know all share the same passion of motorsports and that's one thing that I think we want to do with the podcast is let everybody know what else is going on besides just the member events. I know that uh, my family and I, we enjoy coming out here for the Mustang Club car show. And grid life is one of the funnest things that we come out just to watch, which is a group of fast younger, and furious type younger, cars. Uh, <laughs> younger cars, yeah. but, uh, these, uh These drivers are kind of the next wave of of racers because yes, they, they start out in kind of inexpensive cars, but most of them now have some very serious machines. Uh, and they start at an early age to where, uh, now they're, you know, it, it's a serious event when they come out here and yeah, it's great. I, I they, like do it. a, they do a car show, there's drifting events, there's racing on track. Um, and, and it's a national series. They, they travel around the country. Yeah, that's cool. We'll, yeah. we'll keep everybody updated, all the listeners updated on when that's going to be. So uh, uh, what else is uh, next coming up here? So coming up uh, the 13th, uh, so Friday, Saturday, Sunday, 13th, 14th, and 15th, we have uh, Lemons coming out, which is always a fun event. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, there, it's going to be a huge crowd uh, and just wacky antics <laughs> with Lemons. You never know what to expect. Um 
I'm still hoping to see the upside down car, which is they built a car that looks like it's driving upside down. Uh, and that's the level of uh, wackiness that you would see. <laughs> and it's a 24 hour race. Is there? Uh, no, they're going to break it up into eight hour eight races. Hour, okay. Eight hour uh, race. That's still <laughs> eight hour race. Yeah. Right. It's, it's pretty cool to come out and watch that. We watched that last year. It was a lot of fun. It's an endurance race and with, very inexpensive cars and half the battle is just trying to keep these things running <laughs> for you know eight hours at a time so uh following that on the 19th we have ladies day oh very so, important in my house it's yep. already been scheduled so that's great it's a great way to get the uh the wives girlfriend involved uh to have them come out and you know participate and it's uh it, it's a low pressure environment so they don't feel intimidated or anything like that. But also some of these women have, you know, been coming for years and taking it pretty seriously. So they, they have a lot of fun. Uh, and it's a good, you know, fun competition for, for the ladies. And it's also a great way to meet other on other members. Yeah, it's a, my wife's looking forward. She's bringing a uh, friend of ours for for that. And also, of course, meeting some other friends here. I hope to get her to maybe doing some interviews. We'll see if I can coax her into being a co-host for that uh, podcast for Ladies' Day. And last but not least, um, on April 20th uh, through the 22nd is Springtime Speed Fest. That's uh, one of our three major festivals that we have here. Uh, every form of racing that we have here at Autobahn is going to be happening during Springtime Speed Fest. Uh, so we're going to be doing an autocross competition. There's going to be a cart race. There's, you know, racing on the, on the big track itself. So it's a great time to just come on out and enjoy the club. Yeah. One of the Friday is the chase race, chase race, yep. which for, we need to go into detail about exactly chase race. I'd like to do a podcast, uh, here coming up before the race to detail exactly what the chase race is and how it works. Uh, I'm going to be competing in that one. You don't have to have a race license for that. You can bring out any car. So I, I look forward to that. But we'll talk more about that here as it gets a little closer. And also teen defensive driving, right? When teen defensive driving uh, is coming up. And that is actually Sunday, April 8th. We have the team defensive driving, so you can sign up online for that. Which there's might be still the perfect spots. time if there's inclement weather. Yes. That might be actually the perfect time to come out if there's still spots, spots left. Uh, so this will come out tomorrow on Wednesday. We'll release this podcast, and there'll be a few days to get signed up for the team defensive driving, which I would love to be a team and do it myself. <laughs> I, I wish I had this opportunity available to me because it's amazing what – they learn in that class and it's really life-saving skills. So every, every team should be going through that program. And that's for, you have to have a driver's license. Correct. 16 through 16 through, um, pretty much 21, 21. Um, but yeah, it's typically geared towards, you know, the young teen drivers because they are, uh, at risk when, when they start driving. Yes. Uh, it's, I think it's a great opportunity to come out and see, for example, just putting on brakes and getting analog brakes. Analog brakes, that's yeah. right. Yeah. Yep. Any skid, sorry. Which you have is traction control and how to use these systems, how the systems help you. Uh, and But one of the best tools I personally feel like is we have a skid car, and it's a car designed to simulate driving on ice. Uh, so when the back end starts coming out on you, you know, how do you react? What should you do? you know, where you should be looking, all that, uh, all of those skills are taught in this class. Yes. My neighbor, I encouraged my neighbor to have their 16 year old son came, come up and, and do that. And he actually caught the racing bug and just bought a Miata and they're looking for a spec Miata. So it was, <laughs> it was a nice introduction to the club. So, yeah, it might be a slippery slope, but, uh, <laughs> now also as far as teaching, uh, kids, on Sunday, April 22nd, so during Springtime Speed Fest, we have our very first karting camp coming up. Uh, and that is for people that already have carts and they have all the safety equipment. Um, we're going to 
basically be putting on a fundamental camp for those kids to kind of teach them the basics of uh, go-kart racing, but also how to get involved in the kart league race because the following weekend is our first kart, uh, kart league race. So we want you to come on out and participate in those series. So the best way to do that, to get familiar with your kart, is to participate in our karting camp. And the karting camp is for kids. For kids. For kids. We're also going to have an adult karting camp coming up as well. Um, the, the date is to be determined. Okay. But, cool. um, you know, to also get the adults, because karting is a great way to get the family involved. And it's also uh, a low-cost alternative to racing. So for the price of uh, a set of tires on your Porsche, you could pretty much be karting <laughs> almost all season. <laughs> Very good. All right, Kyle. Well, thank you once again. I look forward to visiting with you on our next podcast, and we'll go over a few of these events and see how they all turned out. Good. Looking forward right. to it. Thank you. Thank you. Well, that's show number two in the books. I want to thank Francesco and Kyle, and thank you, the listeners. Make sure you subscribe, and we'd love to hear from you. We can be reached at podcast at audubonsc.com. Here again is the opening engine note. That was a 1966 Chevy Impala two-door convertible. Total production for the 1966 Chevy Impala convertible was 38,000. The V8 Turbo Fire 327 cubic inch engine produced a whopping 275 horsepower. 0 to 60, 9.4 seconds, and the original retail price was $3,041. The Impala began production in 1958, and there are currently 10 different generations. In 1966, it was the number two selling convertible in the U.S. It was beaten by the Mustang by almost 2 to 1. The name Impala comes from a graceful antelope often seen in large herds in southern East Africa. Well, that's it for the show, and thanks for listening. See you next time. You've been listening to Autobahn Country Club Podcast, where your host, club member John Graybill, opens the doors to America's premier auto sports club. Join us next time for Autobahn Country Club Podcast.